Welcome to the Recruitment Hackers Podcast, a show about innovations, technology, and leaders in the recruitment industry. Brought to you by TalkPush, the leading recruitment automation platform. Okay, hello everybody, and uh, welcome to the Recruiter Hackers Podcast uh, by with Max Armbruster. And today, I'm pleased to welcome on the show the global talent acquisition capability leader at Accenture, Jason Roberts. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, and thank you for saying all of the words in that title. I know it's a lot. <laughs> can we mix them around? We can move them? No, no, you got, you got it exactly right. It's a bunch, though. <laughs> we, we were just talking, and it's a whole lot of words. I'm not sure that it says anything. So what that means is that I have a pretty fun egg in that I'm responsible for processes and technologies and how we do recruiting and for Accenture's customers. And we will do that for large organizations, several hundred thousand um, people per year. So we get to try out lots of technologies. We have a, a pretty nice, clean standard process that we work from. And I get to, to be a part of that and work with smart people every day. It's good. Yeah, fantastic. You say a few hundred thousand people every year. And I guess that number is getting bigger than ever now where the industry is kind of figuring out how we're going to get these 30 plus million people back to work in North America. And then, I don't know, it must be hundreds of millions worldwide. So yeah. the pressure is on to, to deliver, you know, I'm going to say a good, but maybe a decent experience for most of them. You well, know, you know what's interesting is what I worry about with COVID is that candidate experience will stop being a priority because yeah. candidate experience is a big deal when you've got 3% unemployment and it's necessary in order to, to achieve the hires that you need to achieve. But when there's 25% unemployment, 20% unemployment, you don't need candidate experience. People just need jobs. So it's, it's one of those things where if I'm worried that we might lose ground in the candidate experience side of things, I think we all want to be in a position where we treat people well. And uh, we had, We'd started seeing real improvements in that space, and mm-hmm. uh, it was because companies were making investments in the right things to, in order to make it happen. I'm hoping we get to continue that, but there's a I think there's a real risk that we'll take a step backwards in that space. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that people are are not getting back to candidates as as fast as they should be, and positions are being kept open even though you know they're not real, and so it's kind of like candidates sending. Uh, beautiful offer letters and resumes and hearing nothing back, hearing crickets. That That's happening. On the plus side, the candidate experience is improved by the fact that companies are not defaulting to asking people to come physically in person. And when you consider how time-consuming that can be and demanding that can be, well, we, we were meeting in person. <laughs> that was, was a lot of work for me. I have to take a plane to come and meet you. <laughs> That, that is true. No, you didn't have to. I was always great with being on video if you wanted to do that. Okay. I, I found that, that suppliers really wanted to be in person. And I've worked remotely for over a decade, probably 13 years now, something like that, that I've worked mm-hmm. remotely. And I was completely good being on the phone. And people would just would want to come and meet. I thought, man, okay, well, I'll meet with you. I, I actually had an office for the sole purpose of meeting with suppliers when they came to town. 
that's the only time I went to the office when I met with somebody that came in town to meet me. I I remember that office. It was it was a WeWork. It was a WeWork. It was right. a WeWork. That's that's why I only went there every once in a while. I just I would reserve a conference room, and I think you you came back to the actual inner sanctum. You saw the, the actual office. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you have a very cool job with Accenture today, and you had a very cool job uh, with Renstat before. Can you tell for our listeners, give us a quick overview of where you come from and um, how you got into the space? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I started recruiting. My age will show for sure. 1997 was my first, my first piece of recruiting work. I, was, I had a, pers- a friend that I knew. The internet was still pretty new, right? So, like, I got email for the first time in 1994, I think. So it was it was still relatively new. And a friend of mine said, hey, I'm a recruiter, and I hear you can find things on this internet thing. Can you help me with that? I said, well, yeah, I can help you search the internet. So I, I became an early sourcer. And it was with a staffing firm. And that sort of uh, progressed over a period of time. So that so that ultimately I I worked for the staffing firm full time, then did some consulting. Then I spent about seven years with Cisco Systems and started out as a recruiter. I recruited sales and sales engineers for them. Ultimately, we built our own applicant tracking system. Back then, there were no web-based ATSs. Everything was client-server. So we thought, okay, well, we were the backbone of the internet. We should probably have something that's a web-based deal. So we built our own, and it was my job to be sort of the functional expert on that, and I, I worked in HRIT for a while, built my own ATS with, for Cisco, and that was fun. 2003-ish? Around that's then. about right. Yeah, okay. About right. All right. Yeah. And that's right before Did Taleo you, showed up. Yeah, it must have been frustrating to see this startup uh, Taleo pick up all, all this business. <laughs> Thinking. Yeah, well, we were, you know what, we built my module, of course dot-com bubble burst along the way and things slowed down a little bit in recruiting. And we built the module that was basically how we take job orders and approve things. And we hadn't built a, a lot of the candidate stuff yet. And Taleo came about and a few other things were there. And we were like, oh, these things are way better. Let's not build the rest. Let's just find a way to connect to these other deals. And that's what we did. We never finished. We, we just did the sort of requisition piece. It was called Cafe Rec. It was the tool, nice. Cafe Rec. Back then, and recruitment we, happened mostly in Starbucks. Well, apparently, that's how it worked. You, you yeah. had to do... No, it was a good thing, and I, I learned a lot along the way. I became a certified project manager, and it was great. And then I had a boss that told me, you know, I had become the operations leader for, for Cisco, and my boss said, you can either have my job, which I don't plan on leaving anytime soon, or go to a place that does recruiting for a living. And I said, oh, well, that's not a bad idea. And I'd outsourced our recruiting along the way, and I was responsible for the relationship between the outsourced company and Cisco, and I, I played that sort of client-side role. So the company that, when they went through the RFP process, they actually told me no. They said, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're, we can help you much. What you're trying to do is, is really not exactly the right thing. And they were 100% right. Like, it was the, the worst conceived RFP and a terribly conceived sort of 
model that we had designed. And the only company that came back and said, this is a bad idea. We're, we're going to bow out. We wish you luck, and we'll help you with something else the next time. It was Accenture. I thought, man, that took a lot of integrity to do that. So when I went to look for a job, they were the first per- people that, that called, and uh, they made a job for me. So I, I went to work for Accenture, loved that, did that for six years in various roles, and then went to Ronstadt SourceRite. I, I went over to lead operations for them, and I did that for a number of years. Moved on to the senior vice president of strategy. It was strategy and standardization. That's a big part of the strategy was to standardize. So that was that. And then ultimately I ended my run there as head of technology and analytics around the world. And Accenture is a funny place, man. It, it calls you back at some point. There's lots of us that are boomerang, so we'll leave and then come back. That's and, nice. And uh, the role I'm in now, I, I, really, uh, I really like. I remember the guy who had the role when I was here before, and I, I loved what he was doing and where, where he got to spend his time. So I, when that was open, I said, all right, let's do it. Came back, back to Accenture. Now, if you could go, you know, you go back 15 years, would you do what I'm doing and start an ATS company? I started one in 2008, 2009. I was, I think, a few years too late on my yeah. first run. <laughs> you know what? I do look back and think, I wish I had been a founder. I have a lot of respect for the founders that I know. And I look back, and I think that quite a bit. I was, I had a family very, very young. So okay. I had our first you, child. So you need, you need to pay the bill then. There's no choice. I did. I, I was in that spot. So the gamble wasn't my gamble. It was the whole family's gamble. So I, I never did it. And if I knew then what I know now, I might have. Like, yeah. I, I understand the venture capital space. I understand how that all works. And I did. I was just so clueless. I had no idea. But who knows? I have an idea. Maybe one of these days I'll I'll get to try it out. I do have an idea. No, don't do it. Don't do it, Jason. It's the worst worst thing that can happen to you. <laughs> Sleepless <laughs> nights, no money. No, I don't recommend it. Uh, but okay, um, <laughs> that's, uh, but, that's good to know. My my other founder friends are like, do it, do it today. I'm like, I'm gonna wait until we're not in a uh, you know a crisis. I, I no, think. Apparently, you know, uh, recessions are the best time to start a business. But, well, you know what? A bunch of people that did well doing that. Yeah. It, it sounds like throughout your career, while you were not an entrepreneur, you were able to tinker and build things and build toys. And I, I picked up on the, the job title you shared with us. I uh, said it was a standardization in it. That doesn't sound too sexy. But there were also some more creative exercises that you were involved in. I I think that um, you were telling me before the, we started the, the video that you learned about the limits of automation and where the humans were needed in, in an experiment that you ran uh, a year or two years ago. Could, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, we're, we're actually experimenting with it right now. So the technology exists to fully automate, especially at the, in the lower level so think retail, warehouse workers, things where you're not making big decisions on the skills and capabilities, but it's more processing someone through with a very low threshold of, of qualification. So we call those high-volume skills. 
roles. Yeah. And uh, for those roles, it's possible to fully automate. There's not a lot of discernment involved that needs to be made. A human doesn't need to make that decision on who they're supposed to die. Everyone is qualified if they hit some basic knockout questions, like can you lift 50 pounds? Literally, can you have work boots on your first day? Those are the sorts of things you have to you have to ask. So when that happens, I remember I went to one one interview center for a massive distribution site, one of the biggest in the world, I think. And there's a building for interviews. And I sat down with a lady who had been interviewing in that building, interviewing candidates every day for I think it was six years. She had interviewed candidates every single day in that, in that building. I said, Well, how often do you say no? to a candidate. And this lady said, oh, I've never said no. She had never said no. She interviewed for six years and never said no. So when that's the case, the, you don't need the interview anymore. right? The, that discernment's not necessary. So we, we tried this with a fully automated process. Wow. And what we learned is uh, these sorts of roles, you always you have dropout rates at certain points. You know, you're going to have a certain percent that fail the drug screen way more than you would think if you do white collar work. You hear the, mm-hmm. the, the failure rate, it, it would surprise you if that's all you've ever done. But okay. uh, there's a failure rate of drug screen, you know you're going to have. And then right. there's a certain number of people that just won't ever show up for the job. And what we learned when we fully automated is we could get people all the way through the process up until the day they're supposed to start. And they just didn't show up. They didn't think it was real. Some of them would get nervous when filling out the background check paperwork, thinking it might be a scam because they're asked for you know, personal information, social security, and, and so forth. Even though it's from a reputable company, they're worried that it's a scam. So in order to ground the position, we are experimenting with the right place to insert a, uh, a human contact. So mm-hmm. where do you insert a, a phone call to mm-hmm. ground this, to be that it's a real position, a real job for someone? Not mm-hmm. because you need to say yes or no, but because they need human contact to feel good about the job. Well, that's what the lady was doing for six years, right? Is she wasn't saying no, but she was saying, here's, here's a human contact. That's um, exactly right. That's what and, she was doing all the time. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to insert more video in the process where, you know, that human contact could be, hey, check it out. You know, here's the, the warehouse where you'll be working. Do a little, you know, phone recording and say, well, we can't wait to see you on Monday. And that little video can be, it could feel personal, but it could be actually general. You know, yeah. you could say it to everybody. Uh, yeah. So I, th- I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. They, and we're seeing more of that. In fact, we're seeing, we're seeing a shift to video interviews for certain. A lot of companies are just using Zoom or Sky or not Skype, but like Teams. Teams. Yeah. Skype, Skype got replaced, Google Meets for some. But they're, they're using sort of their conferencing platforms to do that mm-hmm. instead of, instead of the, the formal sort of uh, modern hire and hire yeah. and things. Yeah. But it's, it's a little bit broken, right, when they do that because they don't have the formal scoring. They don't have the stuff. The, they're not able to track what's happening like they can your platform. They, it's, it's not as strong of a solution. So I was talking at one point with one of the founders of another one of these companies. They said, uh, they said, well, 
we're running into companies that have sort of the scrappy solution, and they're using Zoom. And then the ones that are that were prepared for something like this, the adoption rate just skyrocketed on video. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people that this video, I always had trouble getting people to use it, um, getting people to, to actually lean into it because you still had to review the videos. But once we once we hit this pandemic, everybody seems way more comfortable, or you know, it's become a necessity in their world, and yeah. they're accustomed to it. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've done a, a lot of Zoom and team integrations, and then have the the vi- live video call, asynchronous video. Still, um, still a luxury for a lot of positions. They're more interested in in getting people through binary, uh, you know, outcomes or multiple choice questions, and and getting them to move to a human uh, interview through a phone call. And also, still a lot of markets where asking people to log in for uh, a Zoom call would be too demanding on the bandwidth, so they do phone calls instead. And you know, in order. To well, you're in markets that where that's the significant challenge, right? So sometimes, uh, yes. But yes. you, you guys have WhatsApp integration. Yes, yes. WhatsApp integration allows for collecting video, but asynchronously. Uh, you wouldn't be able to do a live video call connected through the business API. You can do it person to person in the consumer market, but it's not yet supported for businesses. Got it. Unfortunately, okay. yeah. same with the Facebook picture. You know, otherwise, yeah. I mean, all those companies, whether you're you're an ATS, a CRM, a social media, or a communication platform, you all have video now, and everybody right. has it, and everybody can switch it on. It's it's relatively cost free. So I don't understand how the higher views of the world are going to stay in business if their story is we're good on video. <laughs> so is everybody else. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, very commoditized. I, I, I thought they needed to, to do something different. I, but yeah, we're, we are seeing more video. SMS is big for us in the U.S. Mm. Of course, different mediums elsewhere as well. So we're seeing a lot of that shift as well. The Continuing on what we were talking about, the lady that says yes, do you think her job will still be around in, in 10 years' time? Or do you think that eventually, you know, we can go to a full automated uh, process with no, no human contact? I, I think probably not. Uh, I think prob- her role probably doesn't exist the way it is. But what I think we'll end up with is, you know, instead of a 40-minute, actually, interviewer, candidates were scheduled for an hour. Instead mm-hmm. of an hour, time slots come in. I think we're going to have 10-minute, basically, welcome calls. They're, they're introductions. We're welcoming mm-hmm. them to the company. Oh, yeah, we're ready to make you this offer. It's mm-hmm. already been sent to you. Welcome to the welcome home, and here's your here's all the stuff you need to know. Here's where you show up, what you do. But it's it's a 10-minute, make somebody feel good call. And not yeah, that's a, so a big productivity gain potentially there. And I've seen heard some people doing group interviews as well. Uh, because then you have that human factor of, you know, you were saying, is it real? Well, if there's 10 other people logging into the call and I can see their faces, then it's right. probably real. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I was, there's one of the big online retailers. They were doing this thing where they would do a drug swab. This was years ago. This is before I came back. They were doing a drug swab as a part of their interview process. So they would have these massive hiring events. They still do it right now, I think. And basically, you go, you sit down, 
you watch a video about working at this, at this place, if you're good with it, they have like a, a long Q-tip where you swab your cheek, the drug test, you put it back in the package, you seal it up, you sign an offer letter, and you're done. Like, that's it. That is the whole, that is the whole process. You've been processed, and the way that they were paying their suppliers was based on the, the number of return jo- offer letters and drug screens that they got. Wow. It's great. Wow. Well, I mean, I I just had to do my first swab coming into Hong Kong to to check. They were checking for my coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. But that sounds brutal. And I guess these drug tests uh, have had to, I mean, those are uh, private enterprises can ask whatever they want, right? They can decide what drug test they ask. There's no restrictions there. Uh, So it's not not dependent on state law or anything like that. No. it's strange. You'll have more stringent drug screening requirements for businesses than the states in which people live. Yeah. So there might be a state where marijuana is legalized, for example, yeah. but it's not legal for the drug screen. Well, tell that to the you know 18-year-old warehouse worker that yeah. you know, they're interviewing for this warehouse job. You know, they're really just picking up boxes, moving, moving them from point A to point B, and <laughs> I'm not sure that whether or not they smoked it makes much difference in that, but that's but there oftentimes there's rules that say you know you can't I hire them better after a stressful day of uh, carrying boxes. <laughs> it, it may be I, I don't know, but it's there are these more stringent things. But if it's legal in your state, is if it's legal where you are, I guess not an 18 year old usually usually so 21 year old <laughs> warehouse worker. I guess you could have a problem. You could you. It's not as big of a deal in my mind, but the 18-year-old, shame on them. They should wait until 21. Based on that one, it should be the other way around. Absolutely, we should have a world where it's illegal in the state, but it's legal as soon as you come inside the company. <laughs> you know? Oh gosh, like, yeah. We'd be, in be an office where we only accept people here who smoke cigarettes all day long. Yeah. Well, so you you joke, but one of the big tobacco companies I, I did work with years and years and years ago. And the first time I walked in there, they saw the ashtrays on the desks, the whole thing. Nice. So it, yeah. uh, I don't know if they still do that, but this was way back when. But yeah, they, they, it's the only company I ever walked into with ashtrays on the desk because that yeah. had sort of gone by the time I went into this line of work. Yeah, well, I've experienced that as well. I've had business meetings with cigarettes in Asia. So... It does feel like you're traveling in time when that happens. <laughs> well, I've um, had business meetings with cigars. That's oh, a different yeah. story. Yes, yes. I don't get invited to those. No. And okay. before we, we wrap it up, I'd love to... Thanks, I'm pretty sure that I invited you at some point. To, to cigars? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure along the way. Maybe when we were in San Francisco, I, I don't know. Oh, I missed it. Well, okay. <laughs> Talking about the uh, the current events and the way you see the market going, a few months ago when the world was collapsing, you told me that the RPO industry had rebounded strongly in 2008 and 2009 and had uh, its best run right afterwards and gave me uh, some hope for your industry, our industry, coming out of the coronavirus pandemic. Has your... Uh, are you on track with your predictions or are you surprised with the pace of the slowness of the recovery, I guess? How do you anticipate uh, the next few months will pan out for people 
in, in staffing and in the RPO world in particular? So, yeah, I, I don't know what the starting point of the sort of rebound is, right? So coming out of the 2008 slowdown, 2009, when companies started bringing back employees, the recruiters came back first, right? And when the recruiters came back, they ramp began very quickly. And a lot of times they said, okay, well, let's bring people back, but via outsourcing. That's why outsourcing grew so much at that time. What's Mm -hmm. difficult about this one is we're not yet at the place where I think we're ready for the rebound. I think we're still sort of in the low point and we're nobody's really sure when we sort of swing out of this thing. I'm confident that we will, right? I'm confident that, you know, eventually everybody gets to take off their mask and go back to their jobs and there are some hurdles that have to be reached along the way for that to happen. So I'm confident that the world will go back to what we're accustomed to one day, but it's not something that happens, you know, in three months or four months. It's something that happens over a long period of time. There's a cycle to recruitment and normally, you know, end of the summer, everybody gets ready for the big uh, shopping push towards the end of the year. October, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so now is when people need to, normally when they start ramping up and start, you know, setting up the, the machine. You're saying, well, maybe it's taking a little longer <laughs> this time. Well, what's funny is the the online machine is ramping like you wouldn't believe. So the people who do your online shopping through and then who fulfill those orders on the back end, yeah. that that's going strong. That hasn't slowed down. In fact, it's where we're seeing the most competition for workers. Warehouse workers are right now like, it's like uh, software developers in Silicon Valley in the early 2000s. Uh, I don't just, know if I want to go into, uh, you know, carrying boxes or data science. Right now, it's like both it's, are good for uh, Seriously, what I think is going to happen is those wages are going to start increasing really significantly. Uh, much to the chagrin of my customer base, but they, I think that you know, we're we're being asked in some cases to monitor to monitor salaries or offers, like what the the offer that people are making to candidates on a uh, daily basis. Because Amazon, when you drive past, has billboards that say um, offering X number of dollars per hour, and they change. And sometimes they'll change. There'll be a different number when you go into the office from your commute versus when you come back. And yeah, that's how fast this this thing is moving and it's not going down. It's it's all going up. And the reason that we think that is, is that these jobs used to be the jobs that were, you know, the next level. They were the good paying jobs. If you didn't have an education necessarily, but you wanted something that could actually pay your bills, it's sort of the, the first job that was able to do that most of the time, you know, just above you would see the grocery stores and things pay just above minimum wage, and these jobs were always several dollars per hour. What's happened is Target, Amazon, uh, even Walmart now have pushed that base salary up to, you know, if minimum wage is somewhere in the 8 or $9 range, they've pushed to 13 or 14 uh, minimum wage. The California minimum wage, I think, the end of this year or end of next year, it will be $14. Right. So 
they, it's they as high, push as, high as as uh, logistics or yeah so right it, so it's it's now you can you can either you can either work in a really challenging environment in a warehouse where you're lifting things a bunch and you're it may it's probably climate controlled they've all added climate control but there's these big bay doors so where the trucks have to pull in so mm-hmm. it's you can't get that completely cool or completely warm in the winter time so you've always got to deal with the, the weather to some degree when that when that happens you can't have total climate control so you've got those jobs that are uncomfortable and require more physical activity versus you know the the grocery store chain the hmm. big box retailer those those other ones paying the same amount of money so all those people that have to work with your packages from the Amazon people who have to load them to the delivery drivers to the you know the UPS guy whoever all of those workers they're in great demand because there's more we need more of them yeah but their salaries are deeply compressed because of what's happened with all of the retail salaries. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, from an economic standpoint, I think increasing minimal wages does accelerate the pace of automation and ultimately force companies to, to automate more. So that's probably the response, as well as, you know, in the short term, an increase in, in paper hour. But we know that it's going to drive more automation and will eventually potentially cost a few jobs. But if, if those are the hard jobs, that, that may not be such a bad outcome. It's just that, as you were saying, if you have no education and you need to pay the bill, those jobs are very precious. So I don't know. I'm not a, a policy guy, but it sounds like uh, you're in the right market, even though you're fighting some difficult trends. And, it's um, fascinating, right? We, the, uh, if it were easy, the, the clients wouldn't call us to help. Right, they'd be able to do this themselves. So, it's so many times important. after eight hours in front of my webcam, I'm like, oh man, I wish I was outside doing physical work. And <laughs> yeah, I always thought that that would be like a good employee branding, uh, you know, employer value proposition. Come in to work in our warehouse and check out our guns. You know, you <laughs> <laughs> you need to do. You need to go and. I don't know about the EVP, but the next time you feel that way, go dig a ditch and see how you feel afterwards. Because one time, I at one point was hiring people who would bury the lines for the phone company, and they literally were ditch diggers. And I could not think of a worse gig. And they, so every time I, when I look at this, I think, I could be doing that job. <laughs> that would be terrible. Yeah, It's exhausting, yeah. by the way. I, I, when I was 16 years old, I had a chance to go work in, in a modeling agency to, just to do intern work. And then my, my mother insisted I go instead go work in a, in a plastic factory so that I would understand you know, the cost of physical labor. And so I did end up going to school afterwards and pursuing an education. <laughs> wow. I don't know. How old were you when you could go to the modeling agency? 16. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. The peak of my puberty. <laughs> At that age, I, I, think, I think your mom might not have done the right thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure she will not be listening to our conversation, but if you are, I'm still, still grateful for, for your choice, Mom. And um, very grateful for your time, Jason. 
today and, and in previous conversations, helping, helping uh, me understand the macro trends and the limits of automation. Thank you very much for, for joining us today on this podcast and looking forward to our next chat. Happy to do it. Thanks. Thanks. Treat talking to Jason Roberts from Accenture and, and learning about uh, the new dynamics of the marketplace currently shaping North America with the pickers and the people working in logistics in, in higher demand uh, than the engineers of the Silicon Valley. Who would have guessed? And if, if you liked this interview, please subscribe for more uh, on Recruitment Hackers podcast and share with your friends. Hope to see you here again soon.